0: Now the parable that we're focusing on tonight is in Luke chapter 13 and there's just a couple of verses there. And I don't want you to feel cheated in any way, shape, or form that there's only going to be a couple of verses. So there are a whole lot of other scripture passages that I want to be referring to as we walk through this. And before I actually read from uh, from Luke 13, there are a few other passages that I want to kind of... Um, bring before you uh, just as we kind of set a stage for what we're talking about together tonight in in Fruit-Bearing Plans. You know, when when God created Adam and Eve, uh, man and woman, he placed them into a garden and he gave them everything in that garden that they needed for life and for carrying out what he wanted them to do, right? Uh, Would you agree with that? In uh, Genesis 1, verse 28, he, uh, he gave them this job. He blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So that was Adam and Eve's job, and God gave them everything that they needed to be able to do that job. And while they were there in the garden, God was with them, was in fellowship with them, and was walking with them. And then sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience, and in one sense, everything changed. Because now there was death, and there was pain, and there was grief, and there was loss, and there was suffering, and there was loneliness, and isolation, and alienation, and there was fear, and all of these things became part of our lives, And our relationship with God was broken. But in another sense, nothing changed. Because they still had everything that they needed to carry out the work that God wanted them to do. They still had that job to do, but it was just very difficult to be able to do that because of sin going on. God then began to set in motion... His plan to to redeem us, because God still desires to be in relationship with us, still longs to be gracious to us, and to give us what we need to accomplish what He wants for us to do. In um, Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. We're created, we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if he's got these works prepared for us to do, then he wants us to do them, right? And, and will need to supply us with the resources uh, and the ability to be able to carry out those things that he wants us to do. In John chapter 15, verse 8, He says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And and part of what I want you to notice with that is that what started in the Garden of Eden gets restarted in the Easter Garden. You know, God told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. And Jesus is telling his disciples, what I want you to do is bear fruit. I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to, to do this to display my Father's glory in the world. And, and because of his resurrection, that becomes possible for us to be able to do. In 2 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3, his divine power... Has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. I want you to sit with that a second. If we are going to be fruit bearing people, if we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, what we're told right here is that everything that we need for that life to be godly people has been given to us because his divine power has given us what we need for that to be for that to happen through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires translation You can live like Jesus. You can say no to sin, and you can live a godly life because God has given you His divine power. He's poured out His Holy Spirit, which we celebrated last week. He's poured that out into our lives so that we can live the life that He wants us. So for this very reason... If anyone does not have these qualities, if anyone does not continue to progress in these qualities, then that person is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that they've been cleansed from their past sins. So God's desire for us is to be fruitful and to multiply, to produce fruit in our lives, and he's given us what we need for that to happen and poured his divine power into us, and we can even measure to make sure that we're not being ineffective, that we're not being unproductive. We are to be free people and and full of the life of Jesus. So the question is, how do we walk in that freedom? How do we walk in that fruitfulness in our everyday life, continuing to possess those qualities in increasing measure that that Peter was talking about there? Because if we're honest in the inventory of of looking at our life, sometimes the reality of my life is some days I see growth and progress and fruit, but then other days, I see setbacks and fruitlessness. And there are times when I fall into a pit. Uh, and sometimes I fall into that pit because of my own choices. Uh, sometimes it's because of the choices of others, what others might uh, do to me. Uh, sometimes it's just circumstances that, that come into my life that cause me to trip and fall into a pit. So how can I be more consistent in bearing fruit, which brings us to that parable that Jesus tells us in Luke 13. So here we are. Now now we're there. It's um, starting at verse 6, Luke 13, verse 6. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not... Then cut it down. What I want you to notice as we look at that fig tree and, and this parable that we're, that we're told about, that this fig tree <clears throat> is in a privileged place. Okay, the tree is not just growing randomly in some you know, wild place. This fig tree has been carefully planted in this man's in this owner's vineyard it's planted in a place where there is good soil for it in a place where there is plenty of water for it there is sunshine for it it is in a protected uh, vineyard uh, so there isn't going to be problems with other people coming along and damaging the tree or or anything like that Um, there is also a gardener in this vineyard whose job it is to take care of you know, the vineyard and, and the trees and um, other plants that are there. So this fig tree has everything that it needs in order to be fruitful. And yet year after year, when the owner comes to collect the fruit that he expects, that he anticipates, that should be there, he finds nothing. And so he decides that it's time to remove this fig tree because it's just taking up space and it's using up valuable resources and there is no production. And so something else needs to take its place that will give me fruit, that will bring production here because I'm looking for fruit. But the gardener intercedes on behalf of the tree and says, please give it another year, and let me give it some extra attention. Work with it a little bit more. Then, if it's still fruitless, go ahead and cut it down. Now, I think you understand that this parable is referring to the fact that God is the owner of the vineyard, and Jesus is the gardener uh, at work in the vineyard, and that we are the trees or the vines that are in this vineyard that God is expecting to find fruit in our lives. And so the question that I want you to be thinking about tonight and, and pondering and wondering about is where is Jesus getting his hands dirty in your life? We have everything that we need to bear fruit. And Jesus is interceding for us and is going to work in our life in order to make us more fruitful. So as you live your Christian life every day, a couple of things that we need to keep remembering is the fact that we have everything that we need. We have the resources available to us in order to be more like Jesus. And Jesus is on our side, praying for us, and is at work in our life, trying to bring life and fruitfulness to maybe some dead area that is in our life right now, making that area of our life more fruitful. So where might that be? And I ask that question because the devil also has a plan for your life. He has a plan to steal and to kill and to destroy you. He wants to keep you from being fruitful in any possible way that he can. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. How do you fight such an enemy? Well, we have spiritual weapons uh, to do that. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. A stronghold is anything besides God that has mastery or dominance in your life. Anything that you are a slave to, anything that we're preoccupied with, anything that we are obsessed with in our minds other than God. So if we're going to join Jesus in waging war against the spiritual forces and powers in our lives, we need a plan, we need a strategy of some sort. When it, when it comes to our jobs and, and the work that we need to do every day, um, we make plans, right? Um, you've got certain things that need to be accomplished, and we make plans. We make lists. We, we figure out how we're going to do this uh, when we want to go on vacation. Almost always, there's a plan. Very, every, every now and again, somebody might just get in a car and, and just drive and see where they go. Uh, but normally, people have a plan. They call ahead. They make reservations. They find out how much things are going to cost. Um, when people think about retirement, they make plans for making sure that they've set things into motion so that when they retire, there's actually uh, money there to be able to continue to pay the bills and, and take care of them uh, when they're no longer working. We've got plans for everything that's going on in our lives, but do we have any plans about getting rid of any strongholds, any idols in our lives? Do we have a plan for how we are going to be more like Christ next year than we are right now? Is there a plan to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love? When was the last time you put together a plan for developing more self-control in your life? or to be a kinder person to the people around you. Paul says in um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 25 and 26, he says, everybody who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that isn't going to last, but we're doing it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He's saying there that, that I am I'm running with purpose. I am I'm living this Christian life with an aim, with a direction. So where is Jesus at work getting his hands dirty in your life is it your temper is it your mouth gossip unkind words Uh, is there an addiction pride fear worry maybe we need to be praying to God for conviction of sin in our life if nothing comes to mind and you don't know what he might be working on in your life. Maybe we need to pray for for conviction, to pray for grace, to pray for strength in our time of need. Search out Bible verses that speak to the issue uh, in your life that that you might be dealing with. Um, so if there if you identify an area where where Jesus is is working in your life. Pray that you'll be convicted about that area, that you'll want to make changes. Pray for grace and strength to be able to work on that. Start looking in scripture for scripture passages that, that speak to those particular issues. Like, for example, if if you were uh, anxious at all, you might go to uh, Psalm 18, the first couple of verses there. I love you, O Lord. My strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. So if you're worried, if you're anxious, it's because you're feeling threatened, right? You're feeling vulnerable. You're feeling like I don't have any protection. But, but if you go to those verses and you start speaking them out loud, it, it, it speaks to that worry. It speaks to that fear. It speaks to that anxiousness. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's my strength. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. I'm taking refuge in him. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's going to save me from my enemies. I don't need to be anxious. Remind yourself of those things. After finding those Bible passages, speak them out. Act them out. Try to put them into practice. Because if you don't, then you'll just forget about them and they're not going to do you any good. Uh, James talks exactly about that kind of thing in, um, in chapter 1. James 1, starting in verse 21 Get rid of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you because the word can save you. You you need to take God's word into your life or it's not going to do you any good. So what does that look like? He goes on and says, so don't merely listen to the word because when you do that, you're just deceiving yourself. You need to do what the word says. Anyone who listens to the word but then does not do what it says is like a person who looks at his face in a mirror and then after looking at himself immediately goes, you know, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to look, not forgetting what he's heard, but putting it into practice, doing it, that person will be blessed In what he does so just for example in if you're anxious and you start to read Psalm 18 if you just read those verses and then walk away and and stay anxious and worried then it's not helping you at all you've you've walked away from the mirror and and it's not um, done any good for you we need to focus on it we need to keep thinking about that because Satan's strategy for us is to get us obsessed with the problem to get us focused on the difficulties, on the hurt, on the betrayal, on that shiny new fill-in-the-blank. These things can get so big in our lives that we're unable to see God and, and the truth of his word. But when we take our thoughts captive in obedience to Christ when instead of focusing on the anxiety and the fear and the thing that's producing that anxiety, when my focus then turns to God and say, wait a minute, God is my shield, He is my strength, and you keep meditating on that and you line up your thinking with, with that truth of Scripture, it starts to change your perspective on what is going on in your life. Because we make our thoughts line up with Scripture that speaks to the issue. You're not ignoring the problem. You're not pretending that that the problem is is no longer there. You're just changing the way that you're thinking about the problem. Because the truth is, you still have these bills to pay. And there there isn't enough money to be able to pay that bill. That might be the fact. But you're trusting that God is going to walk with you in this, that you will find a way through this, and you don't have to be worried about it. You don't have to be anxious about it because your God will supply your need. Another example. You ask God to forgive you for some sin that you have committed in your life but you're still feeling guilty about that it still bothers you because you know it was wrong and and you did it anyway um and so and you know if you look back in your life you know that might have been a sin or a problem that continues to crop up in in your life and so you you see all of those different things that have happened in your life and and you've gone it to god to ask for forgiveness but it's still yeah you feel bad about it you You feel guilty about it. And so you ask God to forgive you again and again and again about those sins that you've already asked Him to forgive you because you're still feeling guilty. What you're communicating to God at that moment is, God, I don't believe that you forgave me the first time that I asked. Now, if you've sinned since you asked, then, yes, you have to confess those sins and ask God to forgive you for those sins, but sins that you've already asked Him to forgive, He's already forgiven it. And the fact that I'm still feeling guilty and still going to God is saying, God, I'm not sure that you forgave me because I don't feel forgiven. The, the truth is what Scripture says, God's already forgiven you. Um, you, you know Psalm 103 Oh, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He's not going to always accuse. He is not going to harbor his anger forever. He does not treat you as your sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed his transgressions from us. He's already forgiven the sin. The fact that you're still feeling guilty, that's not God. That's one of the strategies of the devil. He's still accusing. He's still pointing his finger. He's still trying to get you to focus on how bad you are and how great your sin is and not focus on the truth of God's word that you're already forgiven and set free. And what God wants for you to do is to live your life for him now, and not to be so focused on what happened there in the past. If we don't put it to practice, the scripture that we read, if we don't take our thoughts captive, it's like we've just walked away from the mirror and forgotten what we've looked like. Remember, in Christ, we have everything that we need to do what needs to be done for fruit to be born and for his character to be reproduced in us. But will we do everything that we need to do to be able to make that happen? See, this parable in in Luke 13 tells us that God is very serious about his fruit to the point of he has supplied everything, abundant resources for us, and he's also given us help He's given us a gardener to walk alongside of us and and help us. This gardener is skilled in his work. This gardener is on our side. This gardener is interceding for us, is going to do whatever he can to help make us fruitful. He's also very interested in fruit. And in that quest for fruit, sometimes that gardener is going to prune things, prune people, prune relationships out of our lives. Um, John 15 talks about that too as, um, as well, right? Um, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Jesus is at work pruning in our lives, getting his hands dirty in our, in our lives because he is very serious about us Being able to produce fruit. And also, we see in this parable that in spite of the work and the resources and the patient mercy, there will come a time of accounting. And if there is no fruit, there is loss. It could be an individual, it could be an organization like a church. If you think about uh, the letters to the churches that uh, that John writes about in in Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 verse 5, 4 and 5, Jesus is saying to John, I'm holding this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. Lampstand refers to to the church there. And so if there is no fruit and if the church isn't doing the works that God has prepared for the church to do, if the church isn't showing the the character of Christ in, in the work that it's doing, and Jesus is at work in the church and God is at work in the church, and they've supplied everything that the church needs for it to be fruitful, and the church isn't being fruitful, there comes a day and a time where there is an accounting for our lives, for our churches, for our families, for our businesses, for our schools. What plans will you make To cooperate with what Jesus is doing in your life. He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that we would hear your voice, and that you would give us the desire to be fruitful sons and daughters. to bless our community, and to give glory to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing together the song, May the Mind of Christ My Savior. It's number 291 in your gray hymn books. Before we sing that, would you rise and receive God's parting blessing to you?